everybody to Rodion Radio episode 142 and before I introduce my special guest I have a couple of announcements announcements I want to make uh, once again uh, for those of you that want to buy ads so that we can show during our uh, episodes during the breaks uh, contact us at documentary forward slash ads or at rodentradio at gmail.com for more info and we'll send you that info or you can just go to the website documentary.com and look it up under ads and it'll give you all the prices. If you just want to buy one ad, if you want to buy two weeks worth of ads, or if you want to buy one month worth of ads. So uh, we're coming closer to airing those ads that you guys have already bought very, very soon. We like to play them all together. Uh, other than that, for those of you that have ordered the CDs, they've already been sent out. Uh, I still have a couple of mixtapes, hard copy still left, or you can buy the, um, digital downloads on the website of the eight mixtapes that I have uh, for the uh, four that I did and four that Dre did. These were done in the eighties for those of you that are interested in checking them out. Other than that, um, next week, Freaky Tales, not this Friday, next week. And for those of you that are still submitting music, once again, at rodeonradio at gmail.com, submit your music, submit some videos and a little short bio so that we know what we'll be getting into when we hit you back for an interview. So with that being said, if we have any other more announcements, I'll share them during the breaks. But without further ado, so let me get this right because I'm real excited for today. Uh, this is the director, the executive producer of Hip Hop Uncovered on FX and Hulu, Rashidi Harper. How you doing, brother? I'm great, man. How are you? Oh, brother, I'm blessed. Like I was telling you earlier, I'm I'm one that I would never complain, brother. Every day that I wake up to me is a blessing. That's right. That's right. So uh, how's your day been going so far, man? Day's been good, man. I had a, a really good day. Um, I think I was excited about coming here today. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been visualizing and manifesting this moment like that it goes great so yeah that's dope man <laughs> yeah. and you know what uh earlier today i hit up derek from new york mm -hmm. derek pridgen yes because he's the one I much love much respect to derek for uh making this connection a couple of years back uh, i think what was it like two maybe two years ago maybe two years yeah yeah he hit me up oh, well i actually hit him up because we had just finished the docu mixery and uh um 
I told him, hey, man, I'm looking for distribution. I'm just looking for avenues or doors. And he said, well, I'm going to hook you up with Rashidi Harper, you know, and here's just let me talk to him first. And then he gets back to me and he tells me, okay, he said he's going to give you 20 minutes. Uh, uh, so meet up with them. I said, all right. And, and you know what? I was cool with that. I was cool with that. And we actually ended up meeting for lunch for like two hours, something like that. That's right. That's right. That's right. I probably was, uh, you know, in the middle of a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like, man, I, I could probably do 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Right. But just right. sometimes, man, you know how it gets you like busy and you're trying to like stay focused on whatever your goals are. Yes. And then things come up. And, and I'm really glad that this came up because... Of course, I knew who you were, but I didn't realize that that's who you were when I met you, you know, and I was like, oh, dude, this is like Tony A. This is West Coast legendary hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Thank like, you. like, dude right here. So I was really, really happy to meet you. And I enjoyed the doc a lot. Thank you. You know what? Now that I was going to ask you, because that's one thing that everybody that has seen it, um, I didn't have not one complaint and that was my directing debut. You know, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I think the, the thing that I was worst at is that I never wrote anything down. I had everything here and I drove my cameraman crazy because he would be like, what are we going to shoot next? Like, just follow me, stand right here, go right here. And by the time that we got done, he goes, okay, now I see your vision, but we need to write things down, man. You know, and I know that's how professionals do it. I wasn't, but we put together a pretty good. I, I I think everybody has their own process. I don't think there's really, as an artist mm -hmm. or a creative person, I don't think there's one particular way to do it. You know what I mean? And I, I feel like I relate to how you went about making your doc and that I'm a very follow your instincts type person. Yes. You know, obviously on 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 my series, I did. I had a lot of support and, and a whole team with me, but when I'm working, man, a lot of it is just what I feel in here at the moment. And I can't always articulate my ideas of what I'm going for. But that concept that you said of, hey, just just follow me and, and I'm going to tell you what we're going to do as we as we get into it. I mean, that's I think there's gold in there. You know oh, I mean? man. Thank you. You, yeah. you know, I drove him crazy because a lot of the stuff was like running gun. Like we would be driving and I would be in the Cadillac and I go, hey, dude, I'm going to pull over, hop in the back seat and film me. I know what I'm going to use this for. Mm -hmm. And I did so much like that. And uh, of course, dudes wanted me to after they saw it, they wanted me to film their videos. But I wasn't willing to do videos for two hundred and fifty dollars. No. <laughs> you know, and dudes, because that's what most people are paying today. I think the most that, and, and we're talking about like on some hood shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Most guys are paying at the very, very most, maybe 500. Yep. yep. You know, and I'm like, I, I'd rather not film, you know? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the beautiful thing about where technology is with the cameras and with, you know, the editing software and all that stuff, I mean, it's easier to get in as a filmmaker right now than it was, let's say, when I started. I, I started in the in the early '90s, mid '90s, and it was everything was film. Yes. And so, when you're dealing with film, you have to not only purchase the film, or in my case, I would get short ends, um, which are the leftover uh, film on the roll 
from something that was shot. Like if I'd work on a commercial or a music video, I'd ask the camera department, hey, let me get those short ends at the end. Oh. And then, and then you know, there might be 50 feet of film on one, one short end, 100 on another. Oh. And you would take that and then you try to, you know, you get yourself a camera and then you try to shoot it. And then, you, but after that, you still have to process it and take it to the lab. And so there are all these steps and each one of those steps costs money. Yes. You know, so, so when digital came in and then got to the place where anybody could go and, and get their hands on a quality camera, it really drove the prices down for music videos and stuff like that. But on the flip side, it made more people um, have access to creating whatever was in their heart or in their mind or whatever they want to try to get off. So, you know, in the end, I feel like while it, it hurt the music video industry for a little while, it also has just birthed so many more creatives. You yeah, know? you know, and it's the same thing with music because before, like you said, there was a process. We had to buy a two inch reel that it was only 15 minutes long. At the most you could fit in is maybe three songs. Mm -hmm. Then you got to go to the rent studio, get an engineer, hire musicians, maybe a 10 hour block time. Back then we paid 75 bucks an hour, mm -hmm. okay? Then uh, after you pay musicians, maybe for each song, 200 bucks, that's 600 bucks. You want a percussionist for maybe for two of those songs, that, that's $200 per each song. You're already a couple of grand in the hole, you have nothing out, you know? And, and then that's not even mixing and that's not even mastering. Right. Now you gotta shop it, you know? And that's how we did it back then today, laptop, keyboard. They're selling beats back then, my ghetto price was like 2,500 bucks for a beat. Uh, Today is 50, uh, three, three beats for 50 bucks. If somebody pays you, cause I, I have a son that does music. Well, two, two of my sons, they, they dabble and they're just taking stuff off of YouTube and yeah. doing their thing. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's definitely different. Um, but I think just on the sense of just creating, I think it's great for creating because there's no, there's really not much to stop you except yourself. You right. know what I mean? Right. And and I think that's that's pretty great. Now, I'm going to say something that you, a lot of people agree, a lot of people disagree. My opinion, I think back then we had less, and I believe we had more creativity. Today, I, I believe, and I'm speaking about music, today we have more with technology. And once again, in my opinion, I think music got, it got dumbed down. I think it's... Um, <clears throat> So there's this thing that I'm really about, which is called craft, right? Yes. I'm like really about craft and it really means something in my, in my heart, you know? And it's because the people that I admire in entertainment period, whether it's music or film, you know, be it um, Quincy Jones, for example, on music or Gordon Parks on film or, or, um, Mario, not uh, Melvin Van Peebles. Yes, you know all those filmmakers, those early filmmakers um, and creatives. Is they locked in with their purpose? You know what I mean. Like it wasn't really about fame, and it wasn't about money. It was right. about expression. Yes, and for me, that's what I'm about. And. In order to stay relevant though, you still have to adapt to what's going on, right? Yes. So I've had to adapt from film to digital 
and from big budgets to low budgets and from music to television and from you know what i mean all these yeah. different moves as the industry changed you know i had to try to find my way in and so that i could still survive and express myself and do what it is that i love to do which is be behind that camera yes and one of the things that i think is missing is the love of craft you know what i mean like so many people are doing it for clout be it music or making films or music videos or maybe they're doing it because it's easy or who knows it doesn't really matter why they're doing it but for me what i try to encourage any people that are in my circle that are coming up i try to encourage them to be about the craft and to really study you know what i mean like yes. a lot of your favorite rappers you know they've studied they studied albums yes you know what i mean everyone's first album like that's the first thing i'll tell a young musician hey man like listen to people's first albums you know whoever you like listen to their first albums because that's kind of like a blueprint for how you you know how you can put something together that's meaningful right yes yes and i think with more access that we have as great as it is for people to just i mean like TikTok is a thing now yes you know what i mean like it's like that's like like great that's like the moment right but but there's also and there is craft in that I guess the, I guess my point is this: whatever it is that you're doing, find the craft in it. You yes. know what I mean? No, I think no. that's that's my point. And and I think that's a very good message because I believe that there's a lot of music out there and a lot of filming out there that they're just doing it for the buck, you know. And uh, one time somebody asked me, I did an interview like two years ago, and they said, "Why do you think music was so much better back then than it is now?" And my first answer was probably because they were broke. That was the first thing I said, and then I said because and they had passion behind it. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I think that's what's lacking today and uh, is music, you know, as con concerned. But you know what? I wanted to ask you, where originally are you, are you from? Like, where did you grow up? At? I was born in Inglewood mm -hmm. and I was raised all over Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And then I spent my summers in the Bay Area. So I'm pretty much an amalgamation of Southern California and Northern California. Mm -hmm. Um and when I say I grew up all over L.A., like I really mean, I, well, not I guess not really all over L.A., but I'm saying I, I, I'll give you I'll give you some geography. Right. OK. I did. I went to a boarding school in Linwood, probably in the fifth grade. Um, I lived in Highland Park for a year. I lived um, 91st in Vermont, South Central. I lived Crenshaw and Slauson for a while. And at one point I went to junior high in Silver Lake. And then I moved back to Crenshaw and Slauson. And I used to catch the bus from Crenshaw and Slauson to Silver Lake every single day, like in the eighth grade. And take that, take the bus down Slauson to Vermont, the bus down Vermont to uh, like Franklin or Fountain or whatever, yeah. and then walk to school. And I did that every day for like eighth and probably ninth grade, you know? So, so my experience is a true Los Angeles experience. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I've, I've experienced everything from you know, gang neighborhoods to, you know, sort of um, hipster, you know, multicultural, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Environments yeah. and just really it was my mom who was a young mother and a single mother. Um, 
she was just trying to get me in a better school every year. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Course, just just trying to trying to make it easier for me to get a good education. That's basically where it came from. You know, watching this docu series, and before we we get into it, we have enough time. But there's a lot of um, um, gang talk, if you will. You know, mm -hmm. uh, to say the least. Did you ever, or what was it about it that didn't attract you to get into that lifestyle coming from LA? I think that, um, you know, I moved. I was never one place long enough. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's 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 one part of it. The other part of it is I want to say my mother wasn't having it. Like my mother was a very no nonsense yes. type of parent. And she's very serious about, you know, exposing me to all sorts of things outside of what our environment was, you know, right. and because she didn't come from that environment, you know, she came from a family with a, a mom and a dad and you know what I mean? Both parents worked and you know what I mean? But yeah. because she was a young parent and she was living in another city without a lot of support, you know, we found ourselves in some of these communities and, um, you know, the, <laughs> the time was really, it was a really interesting time, you yeah. know, like, I remember one day when we lived on 91st in Vermont, uh, this dude, I didn't even know this dude. He just came through the block and was like, hey, homie, come with come with me. We're about to go up to the park and we playing 93rd Street in football. And it wasn't, can you come? It was like, no, come with me. Yeah. Like, and you're coming. And so I ran in the house, told my mom, hey, I'm about to go play football. And uh, <laughs> I went with this guy, this stranger, to go play football. And I got over there and it was hell. Like everybody was, they was all Crips. You know what I mean? It was awesome, like some Crip shit. And it yeah. was a, a very aggressive football game. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been a good game. It was a great game. I, I believe we won. If I, I say we, I, right. didn't, I probably didn't do shit. But I was there. I think what I learned too that day was, because I don't remember really playing, but the 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 idea of strength in numbers yes you yes, know what i'm saying yeah. like i don't care who it is we all running up there and we're going to be a presence when we get there yeah that idea of um brotherhood in that sense yeah. was uh, a pretty powerful moment for me you know i was watching the docuseries and there were little things that stood out to me that number one and i could again we have time to get into it so i don't want to touch on it too much but i will a little bit later one thing about watching it, it really inspired me to start doing music again. Really? Yes, yes it did. <laughs> it, it really, like, because I'm passionate about music. I love music. The reason why I got out of it was because I'm not doing three beats for $50, dude. Like, sure. You know, uh, uh, that's not even gas money. And, and um, but watching it, man, I just remember it for me, like the golden era, you know, because I was one of the fortunate ones that was blessed to uh, uh, on occasions to go visit Dre, Cube, and Easy when they were putting together uh, uh, NWA here in the city of Torrance on uh, audio achievements. And then being there maybe for about two years, I ended up meeting Quick. Then I'm in the studio with Quick, Second to None, AMG, High C. Then we all toured together. So I was amongst two greats. Mm -hmm. So whenever I hear somebody's production, it may be unfair. They tell me, tell me, what do you think? Because the first thing that I think of is Dre and then Quick. And sometimes it's unfair for me to match their music to them. But it's not unfair because what it is is a bar. Okay. You know what I mean? It's a level. And there should be a level that everybody's striving for. It's not, the, the bar shouldn't be down here. It shouldn't be, oh, I'm going to just take this loop, this this loop inside of this 
this machine yeah. that everybody like I didn't even do nothing to it. I'm just taking this loop. You know what I mean? It, there should be some there should be some of your own originality yes. and your own thought process put into anything that you do. Yeah. In my opinion. And so, I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong of you to be like judging something against Quick and and Dre because you're judging you're 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 looking at greatness and you're challenging someone to be great, you know? And one of the things that I'm super passionate about is just how can I be great? I just want to be great so badly. Yes. You know what I mean? That yes. I just I just work as hard as I, I need to work so that I could try to achieve greatness. Okay. You know what I mean? And it's a process. It's not a, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like a lifelong journey. It's not a, you know, okay, I was great that one time, <laughs> you know? No, you're right. You're right. And I thank you for that because many times I kept saying, I don't want to hear your music because I thought I was being unfair. But uh, the second thing that it reminded me of, you know, when uh, these guys are talking about slanging and doing this and doing that, I remember a, a quick story. I, I had just 12th grade and I just, I knew I wasn't going to finish. So I just pretty much just left school. Mm -hmm. Then I met a guy, uh, uh, I won't mention his name, but, uh, I told him, hey, man, I want to start slanging. Everybody was doing it. You know, it was during the 80s and, you know, the crack epidemic was spread like wildfire. I said, okay. He goes, what, what, what do you want? And I started out with a, a 50 double up and I sold it really, really fast. Of course, I was nervous as hell because I always considered myself a nickel and dimer. Okay. Curb serving, you know. Then I came back and I had enough. For the first time I bought a half ounce and it was, it cost me 350 back then. He said, if you pimp it, you make at least about 700 bucks, take your recut money, come back, blah, blah, blah. Came back and I bought an ounce. And here's what he told me. He said, I'm going to let you know, youngster, because you only have two options, dead or in jail. So make your money and get the hell out. And I'm going to be real with you. It scared the hell out of me when he told me that. Because up to that point, it was all fun and games. You know, I was buying the, the new Jordans, the Jordan ones when they first came out. I had the brand new beeper. I had the brick phone, you know, so I was like happy, like, hell yeah, I'm balling now. I was just curb serving, but it really scared me. So when I got my record deal at the age of 21, I got the hell out. I was like, I'm done with that crap. But really all I was doing was buying a mixer, make some used turntables, some records, because that's really what I wanted to do. So watching that, it really not only inspired me to do music again but also it made me realize how blessed and fortunate that i was able to get out you know a lot of people don't get out and and a lot of people don't get out because maybe they haven't found that thing that inspires them outside of that game you know what i mean so you know everybody sort of I don't want to say everybody understands and i don't want to normalize drug dealing right but i do in, in the in the in the series, I do sort of put it in a way to where you sort of understand the bigger picture, you know, of the system and how it places poor people in a certain predicament to where you have to make choices, you know. And I think it's important that everyone understands that, of course, no one wants their son or daughter to grow up and slang dope, you know. Right. Um, but no one wants to work at McDonald's for a little bit of money. You get your taxes taken out and you spend that much. You know what I mean? It's like some of the shit is just, this is, this is, this is, you know, it's, it's tricky for me, right? I, I definitely was not raised 
in a way that it was okay to sell drugs, right? right? But I definitely feel like I understand how a person could make that decision, you know? Right. And every decision that each of us make, we have to live with that shit. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Some people can live with it. Some yeah. people can't. Some people like you have another passion that they're really just working towards so that they can get out. And like many people, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. And we wanted to shed light on that dynamic because for me, all I heard growing up was just this immense amount of judgment, you know, from the news media, from people who were not from these communities, judgment, 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 and, and no one taking the time to think about, well, if I was in that situation, what would I do? Yes. You know, and I think that's just an important life thing. You know, yeah. you have to try to put yourself in another person's shoes so that you can have empathy and some understanding. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And a lot of people don't have that understanding and it's just judgment. You know, it's just, well, I would never, you know what I mean? And it's like, you don't really know what you would never do until you're in a situation where you, you have to make a choice. You know? Yes, yes. You know what? Um, after our break, we still got a couple of minutes, but after our break, we're going to come back and we're going to break down to episode one, episode two. But I wanted to ask you something because my dad has video recording of me when I was barely one years old. So, so he had shared with me that uh, he had a camcorder back then when I was uh, a kid. I'm about to be 53 uh, mm -hmm. this month. Mm -hmm. So that means, you know, 52 years ago, my dad had a camcorder. And uh, he would always film you know, our family, you know, uh, my mother and me as a kid. When little by little, he started showing me, he's the one who introduced me to film, introduced me to black and white movies. He's the one introduced to comedy, uh, to magic, to, to music, uh, it, everything. My dad was a huge influence in my life. So uh, uh, he taught me how to put on the, 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 on the projector, the film. We used to rent movies from the library. Mm. So we used to get the film, put it on. And then he, what he would do with his projector, he would put a sheet over the garage and then uh, play the projector so we had our own screen. Mm -hmm. So we would just lay down, lay a sheet and just lay down and watch movies. Of course, there were black and white movies like Laurel and Hardy, uh, Bob Hope movies, uh -huh. uh, uh, scary movies like Better Lugosi, Boris Karloff and, you know, stuff like that. And, um, but he would always talk to me about film. And then one day we were watching a film and I don't even know what they even call this. This guy had a dinosaur and they were made out of clay and he moved it and he clicked it, clicked. Mm -hmm. Then he moved it again and he clicked it. Claymation. Okay, yeah. yes. Yeah. And then they play Yeah. And then he moves. That was what interested me and like, I want to do something oh. as a kid. But I didn't do it till like 2017. When were you introduced or when were you inspired to be a filmmaker? Um, that's a great question. Um, I got into filmmaking through acting. I was an actor first mm. and my mother was a student at LA city community college. Okay. And she was a theater major. And so because she couldn't afford a babysitter, I would sit in the back of theaters and I would watch her rehearse day after day after day for hours at a time, you know, cause that theater life is a very rigorous life, you know? And I recall watching the director, you know? And the director was the person who would say, 
oh, why don't you try this? Or, you know, what's the intention behind this line? You're saying it like this, but would it, would it, would it let, you know, they would discuss the details of the script. Um, and, and in this case, it was uh, Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun, right? Okay. Which is very, which is a classic. Yes. And it's, um, I think it's uh, Sidney Poitier's first, not first film, but he was in that, in that film, yes. in the film adaptation and in the play, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, when I was a kid, I used to watch those type of rehearsals. And then ultimately, I had the opportunity to be in it because I was there at the rehearsals all the time and there was a role for a little kid and he had maybe four or five lines. So I got to do that and I did that. And as a result of that lifestyle and watching movies as a kid as well, I got interested in film, but it wasn't until probably like eight years later when I was in high school and Spike Lee came out with his first film, um, She's Gotta Have It. Yeah. And for me, that was the first time that I saw someone that looked like me that yeah. actually was a director. And I thought, oh, shit, <laughs> like I could actually do it. Like I had up until then, every director that I had seen. So I'm skipping the middle part. There was a part where I went from doing the plays with my mom to then I got an agent. And then I would go on auditions for TV shows and commercials, and I booked a couple commercials, right? Okay. So I would be on a commercial set, and I'd see who the director was, and it was, you know, some white male or whatever, and I was like, that dude looks like he's got the juice. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, I want that, right? Right. And... And every set I went on, I, I, my mother dated a. Um, it's, it's actually the the father of my of my younger brother and sister. We have different fathers. He was an actor as well, but he was like a character actor, and he, you know, he was in movies like you know, Lethal Weapon, okay. and uh, you know, uh, Hollywood Shuffle. You oh know? yeah, that's a dope so, movie. So <laughs> so this one movie. Uh, when I was somewhere, I was probably like about 12 or 13 years old. He was in this movie called Streets of Fire. And it had Diane Lane and it was directed by a guy named Walter Hill. And Walter Hill was like a really big deal. He's like a really big director, you know? And yeah. I remember I went and visited that set one day and um, just was blown away by... So the difference between that set and the commercial set, like the commercial set, it was like daytime it was you know the concept revolved around tennis or something like that it was very you know there was a lot of stuff but it was nothing like when i went to the movie set like the movie set was like damn there was like a hundred people there and cameras everywhere and right it was just a big big deal and um i got to meet the director and and nothing really clicked for me at that time i just was like oh, okay again this is the guy who's running it and i right. would just observe yes and uh um, but it wasn't, but I, I didn't make the connection that I could really do that job until I saw, until I heard about Spike Lee. And that was kind of just a big moment because everything about that movie, she's got to have, it was like, it just was different. It was for my generation basically. Yeah. And it was black and white and he was in the movie and it just was cool to me. And, and then from then on, from 16, I was like, okay, that's what I'm gonna do. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's dope. That's yeah. dope. 
Okay, we're going to go ahead and take a 10-minute break, and we're going to go ahead and come right back. So I'm sitting here with Rashidi Harper. He is the director and executive producer of Hip Hop Uncovered, uh, which is available on FX and Hulu. So make sure you call somebody, text somebody, slap the shit out of somebody, let them know that Rashidi Harper is in the motherfucking building. We'll be back in 10 minutes. Don't fuck around. Welcome back, everybody, to Rolling Radio, episode 142, and I'm sitting here with Rashidi Harper, the director and executive producer of Hip Hop Uncovered, which is available on F uh, FX and Hulu. Rashidi, thank you once again for coming. Uh, it, that's a lot for me to introduce. I hope I got it right. Oh, it was great. It was great, <laughs> yeah. So now, um, I got to see the, the series, but I want to back up a little because I want to ask you about something. Um, how long do you, th from filming to editing to the release date, did you, were you working on that project? Um, so we started filming in March of 2019. Okay. And that wasn't the intention. We had just, we hadn't even finished the deal yet. Oh, wow. What happened was Nipsey Hussle got murdered and we had always planned to interview Nipsey for the show. Yes, yes. Because of his relationship with Big U. Yes. So the day that um the day that he got murdered, we were actually in the neighborhood. My partner Jimmy Chris and I were in the neighborhood and we were about to meet up with Big U. And then I get a call from my nephew asking me if I heard Nipsey died. And I was like, what? what what are you talking about and he's yeah. like yeah he got he got shot at his shop and i was like i'm right up the street from the shop like we were at this restaurant called simply wholesome and his shop is like a mile down the road on slawson and um it was just you know man it just was a really really sad and unfortunate thing you know and at the time i didn't really know Big U super well. So it was like, I knew how close he was to Nipsey. Um, and I was, I, I just was like, I didn't know. I didn't want to be like all vulture style. You know course, what I'm saying? Course. Like pulling cameras out and shit. You know what I mean? Like we were just sort of trying to figure out what we were going to film and, you know, that type of thing. And I think I gave him like maybe maybe, I don't know, like two or three days before I even got up the nerve to call him and ask how he was feeling and if he wanted to do anything. And he was like, nah, we should definitely film. Like we should film right now. And then at the time he was putting together a memorial for uh, Nipsey, for, for people from different sets, um, gang sets around the city to be able to come to the shop and not feel like they had to look over their shoulders or wonder if there was going to be any beef. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a lot, him and a lot of leaders from the different sets put it together so that people could respectfully pay their respects to Nip. Yeah. And, and that's the first day that we filmed. Wow. And, and, um, when you guys started filming, um, Obviously, you contacted all of these people. Were there some people that were just a hard to get a hold of, or maybe some people that were going to be filmed but didn't say, I don't want to? Yeah. Um, so, initially, when we went out with the project, we 
it was Big U. It was the five people. It was Big U, um, Deborah Anthony, yeah. Bimmy, Trick Trick, Haitian Jack, and then the sixth person was going to be Jay Prince. So before we started filming, I flew to Houston to meet Jay Prince. Um, me, Jim, and Big U flew to Houston. And we hung out with Jay Prince for a day, which was fucking awesome. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, it was like, of course, I've been aware of who he is from the beginning of all this stuff with Rap A Lot Records and being a fan of the Ghetto Boys and all of that. And to finally um, get to meet him and talk to him about the project was was really great. It's just the snag we ran into was that he was making his own documentary and he only wanted to talk about a, a, a specific portion of the rap a lot catalog and life and, and everything. And it just wound up not working out for us, unfortunately. But um, we still, you know, we still made it happen with the people that we had. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that everybody, everybody sort of participated, you know? Yeah, you know, uh, I watched it and it, just had so much of a nostalgic feel to it. That's why I said it inspired me, yeah. you know, cause I heard so many stories and, you know, uh, I remember, uh, and I shared this before, Steve Yano was the Japanese man who, well, may rest in peace, the guy who introduced me to Dre, Easy, Cuban, those guys. And it was only because of him that I, I, I you know, met those guys. So I'm, I was very blessed and fortunate to have been, a, 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 known him since I was 11 years old. And he would take me over there. And I remember one day they would finished mastering uh, the NWA album. I didn't get to go, but he says, I'm gonna drop by your house and I'm gonna bring you a cassette. Just make sure this cassette doesn't have babies. That's what he told me. And I said, no, I, I know, I know. I said, okay. So he comes to my house and I told him, don't, I told him, do not knock on my door. There's a broken window right here in my living room. Just stick your hand in and give it to me. I'll be waiting in the living room. So I saw him pull up in his van. And he walks in and I go, yo, Steve. And he sees me, he goes, he goes, make sure it doesn't have no babies. Okay, cool, bye. So he drives back to Whittier, here in the city of Wilmington, and he drives back. I remember I grabbed my big ass headphones, put it in my boom box, put my covers over, and I fucking heard NWA, fuck the police. Fucking amazing, amazing. Then after that, the Easy E album dropped, brought me another cassette. But on, when you got, I think it was episode three, they started talking about when NWA came out and they started saying, fuck the police. It was just so incredible because, you know, even though, uh, um, you know, they were saying fuck the police, but us as being Chicanos, we felt like this is our voice too. We can now say it as well. Fuck the police. Because you know what? I mean, back then you just wore a hat. It didn't matter what color. You couldn't wear blue or red or you couldn't get pulled over. You know, in the 80s, that's why I, I've always made a joke of, uh, said, if I survived the crack epidemic and the gang epidemic during the time of the 80s, I could survive COVID, you know? <laughs> For real. Yeah. For real. So, so, but, uh, so a lot of that just brought back so many memories and a lot of people, when they go back and listen to like NWA, they always say, yeah, I thought that was cool. You have to understand that that shit was groundbreaking. At the time. Yes. At the time. Yes. That's the thing that, it's hard for um, people to understand if they weren't there at the moment is to understand the impact at the moment because when impacts are made, things change after that and then they move forward and then, you know, another impact is made and then things change. So if you're not there to fully witness it 
when time passes, you might look back on the record and not really understand what the big deal is. Not not with fuck the police because I think that's a forever relevant right record. You know, can I wanted to ask you though when you were hearing the project for the first time, both NWAs and Easy E's. You had also been in the studio with them Correct. a couple times. Yes. So what was the big, biggest difference between the time that you were in the studio and what you heard from what you heard on the cassette that night? Everything was rough, meaning that like they were just tracking it. This was the, the actual mix. It would be like me showing you a, a rough footage of what we're putting together. And then one day just bringing you a Blu-ray and saying, now it's done. That was the difference. Like, I remember he had played uh, a song for me, uh, Gangster Gangster, and he told me, what do you think it needs? First of all, I was in shock that Dre would even ask me. I wasn't even a damn good producer, you know, and I was just like, I don't know, you know. I said, but one thing I do like, what you did a lot on the Swamp Me mixtapes, you did a lot of scratching, you know, and you, you did it with Boys in the Hood, had some more scratching. The dope thing about them is because on a lot of their songs, they didn't have hooks or choruses. They had like, yo, man, yo, yo, yo man, you know, shit like that. that shit for me being a DJ. I mean, we got both. We got some street shit and we got some DJ shit on one song. To me, that was what what I dug. But uh, um, when I was in there, they were just mixing down. They were just pretty much putting the song together on the cassette. You start hearing all the commercials in between. Just everything's mixed. It, it, it was a beautiful thing and a beautiful experience to to have been in there. Uh, and Steve Yano, if and I, I know you saw the uh, the Defiant ones. Mm -hmm. A lot of that old footage was predominantly his. <laughs> you know, the stuff in the uh, his was the stuff with Easy in the um, in the booth, right? Yes, yes. That shit was incredible. Yes, it was incredible because because. It just puts you right there when history was being made. Yes. You know what I mean? Now, now, do you think Steve knew that he was making history at the time when he was recording this stuff? You know, it's weird because I don't think he did, but there was always two people that he would always say were special, meaning like he knew they were gifted. He always bragged about Dre, and he bragged about Dre in 1987 when Dre left the wrecking crew and started NWA. You gotta watch out for him. When I first met Dre at the Swamp Meet, I didn't see him. I got introduced to Eric, which was easy, and I got introduced to Jinx, which is Dre's cousin. Dre had just moved in with Sir Jinx in, in, in South Central. That's when I had met them. I still saw Dre as the world-class wrecking crew Dre. I didn't know nothing about no Boys in the Hood, LA's The Place, or Fat Girl on My Jock single that they were about to drop. So to me, I'm still thinking that world-class wrecking crew shit. And then when they played Boys in the Hood, I was like, what the fuck? Like, we, I just thought that shit was insane. But uh, um, one thing about Steve, he would always say, this guy's gifted, he's talented, man, this guy this, this guy that. And then the only other person he said that about was when we met Quick. And he was he said the same thing about, he goes, he reminds me a lot of Dre, he's not quite up there, but he's gonna get there. And then Dre, Dre Quick just dropped platinum after platinum after platinum record. But Dre, you know, one thing that I would say about being in the studio with them, and if you ever get a chance, ask him. He had one floppy disk, and he put it in his back pocket. So one day, he showed me in the studio how to work the drum machine, the SB-12, which I had here when uh, Ralph M was here. And uh, he takes it out, and I said, um, do, do, do you keep, like, a library of your floppy disk, like, for your drum machine? He goes, no. 
And I said, you don't? I go, how many floppies do you have? And he said, I just have one. I'll do one song, then I'll erase it and start over and do another song. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, like it was crazy. Now the difference between Quick, Quick had a whole collection and I, I used to actually, I dubbed all of Quick's collections. I still have it from his first album when he did the AMG, the second to none and, the, and his uh, Quick as a Name album, you know? But Dre was just using one. You know, and then sometimes when he didn't want to sample because our our, our drum machine only had 10 seconds, uh, instead of just sampling on one pad or another pad, another pad, and then writing it, he would just grab the record and say, press record, let's go, and just scratch it in and just write it. That's how he did that uh, uh, funky worm on um, uh, uh, Dope Man, you know, from Ohio Players. He just wrote that motherfucker in it because we didn't have sampling that long. Right, you know? right. So, so seeing that, I, I saw what the hard work that was put in and the outcome when you talk about craft, yeah. you know? So to me, hear, hearing that music back in your docuseries, it just like, fuck, this is another like straight out of Compton type of deal for me. You know, I, I love straight out of Compton so much that I actually forgot that I was watching an NWA movie. I thought I was watching an eighties movie. You know, it was that good for me, yeah. you know, but now, you know, uh, as far as episode one, we'll call them episode one, mm -hmm. uh, for people that maybe have not seen it, I want to encourage them to see it. What can they expect from episode one? So in episode one, which is titled um, A Child is Born with No State of Mind, right? Off of the uh, uh, the message, off of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Fives, the message. Um, it's basically like a setup to the world. Like we're just sort of introducing you to who the characters are. Like that first like 10, 12 minutes is just making you familiar with who you're about to be spending the next six hours with, right? Right. And then from there, we go into the conditions of their childhood and what was happening in the world at that time. So you've got uh, from 79, you got the release of the first big commercial record, rap record, Rapper's Delight. Then in comes 1980 and you got a new president. We go from Jimmy Carter to Ronald Reagan. And with Ronald Reagan comes all these sort of more conservative viewpoints and the slashing of many um, policies that can help the, the, the poorer communities and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And you sort of, are getting introduced to what the world in the 80s is looking like through the eyes of our characters as they tell you about their childhood. And that's pretty much sums up the basis of what happens in, in episode one. It's like an introduction to the characters and to the world that we're about to explore because what we're really doing is we're taking you on a journey from 1979 to 2021 basically right that's what the series is doing and we're doing it through the eyes of these five people and you're seeing them um as as adolescents and then in their 20s and 30s and then in where they are today in their 50s or, or however old they are okay yeah, I, and i know you said that you started in 2019 uh, uh, what was your filming schedule like? Was it like an everyday type of deal? Nah, it was. Um, so the process was really. It was it was a new process for me. You know, I've never done anything 
this big before uh-huh. and nothing this creatively ambitious in terms of telling stories about five different people over the span of 40 years and talking about the music and how it evolved those people and how their lives evolved and then America and how America evolved. Like that's, that's a lot (laughs) to try to, you know what I mean? Get a, get a hold of. And the shooting schedule was sort of like, like I said, we, we circumstances, circumstances made us have to start shooting before we were even ready. We hadn't even prepped the whole season or anything. We just, life was happening and we just jumped on that. And then I would say, you know, we tried to find, at that point we didn't have our showrunner yet. So we spent a lot of time trying to find a showrunner, which is a person that helps you sort of organize your thoughts and your ideas and gives us a strategy for how we're gonna approach shooting and filming, like what the schedule is and that type of thing. And it just, man, it just never fell into place as I had imagined. Right, <laughs> you right, know what right. I mean? It just was like, people weren't available, you know, um, you know, there, there was just all kinds of, all kinds of problems. I mean, this is, this is, no one wants to hear this, but I mean, it's just a super chaotic process the whole time. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, like, not like everything was going wrong. It just was so much to do. And it was hard to get a hold of the right process. You know, so ultimately the next time we shot, it was like in July maybe. And it was the first interview I did was with Big U. And again, it was one of those situations where we weren't necessarily like, we didn't have the whole plan together, Okay. but it was like, it's time to let's, let's just, let's just jump in. Let's, let's interview Big U and hear some of his story and try to understand where we think we're going to go. I mean, obviously we had a blueprint. We had an idea of where we wanted to go, right? but we weren't sure of the format, you know? And we weren't even sure of all the information that was going to be told to us until we interviewed, you know? I mean, like, it's one thing if me and you are sitting here and we're talking and none of these cameras are here, right? Right. None of these cameras are here. We're just talking. That's one whole conversation, right? Right. But once these cameras come and the lights and there's people around, there's a crew, you know, you start to become more aware of the fact that you're talking to multiple, you're talking to a lot of people. You right. know what I mean? And so that was the process to understand even what people would say on camera or wouldn't say, you know, and, and we had to be careful because the last thing that we wanted was for this to come out and anybody to incriminate themselves in any way or anyone to mention some sort of street thing that happened. And then that causes repercussions in real life. Like there were a lot of things that we were trying to be conscious of as we were making this because we cared about the people that we're making this project about. You, yes. you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's very, it was very serious. And I think it was a big learning curve for our production company and our network to really understand like, Hey man, like 
this is really real shit. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. Like we got some real people talking about real shit and there are real repercussions that could come of it. So we have to approach it very delicately, but truthfully. You know, and that was what I was going to ask you. You know, you don't have to mention no names. Uh, uh, was there some instances where they might have said too much? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, um, um, I, but, I, but, but, but like, I would say, honestly, it got that happened maybe once or twice, but like more it was, you know, like Deb, for example. Deb had a really, really hard time talking. Like, she was like, there was a lot of conflict going on for her internally wow. because she agreed to do it. She knew it was a great idea. She knew she knew the people involved and that this was like a moment, right? She understood that. But I think when it came to really telling her story, you know, there was a lot of, she's, she's probably the oldest out of everyone. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff that she just buried. You know what I mean? She don't even talk about it. I hadn't even thought about some of this stuff in 30, 40 years. You know right, what I mean? Right. And what I realized along the way, really for everyone, is that there's a certain amount of trauma involved with some of these stories. You know what I'm saying? It's like people died. You know what I mean? Like people got strung out on drugs. Like people had shootouts. People like all that shit is trauma. You know that we, we I think in this moment in time, we're just starting to really understand how traumatic that stuff was right you know what i mean like i'll give you a perfect example because i'm from la i i i, I don't just casually wear blue or red anywhere anytime for the longest time as an adult even though i'm like super far removed from that life like i would never wear red or blue anywhere i do wear blue because it is my favorite color same but but i'm saying I'm conscious of it when I'm doing it. Like I'm, if I do it, I think about, well, where am I going? You know what I'm saying? Still, yeah. I'm fucking grown. I'm a grown ass man still thinking like that. Like that's how impactful that time was in my life. You know what I mean? And how right. serious the repercussions would be if someone ran up on you asking you where the fuck you from. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nobody, no, nobody right. likes that. That, that. I know. <laughs> that no. sucks. You're right. <laughs> you know? So, so I say all that to say there was a lot of buried emotions and stories inside that I think um, Deb wasn't always comfortable with. Okay. And so the more we talked, the more she would wind up revealing over the course of time. And then the opposite, not the opposite, but what was different about, let's say, Trick Trick, right? I think it was our first interview where he revealed that he had tried to commit suicide. And it was like, I remember sitting there being like, I wasn't even sure if I had heard, like, did I hear that right? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. it was like, damn, I didn't expect him to share such a sensitive thing yeah, yeah. like that and it was powerful and i and i'm glad that everyone eventually felt empowered enough to want to tell their stories i mean obviously everybody's not telling every single detail of their life of course I mean, we can't there's five people over six hours like we can never tell every bit of anyone's story anyway but what they gave us was just phenomenal and it it's it's a lot of compelling 
life stories that really equipped them for this business of music in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, um, like I said, watching it, I learned a lot. I thought it was very, very different. Uh, I like the name Uncovered, you know, Hip Hop Uncovered. Um, there's a lot of things in there that a lot of people would never expect on how shit got started. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad you shined light on that, educated people. And at the same time, entertaining people because all the music just took to me. Every time I kept hearing that, the hard times, don't do them. You know, I was like, shit, like that's my era. So now, okay, that was episode one. Episode two, uh, what can people expect from there? You know, we just kind of give them a quick overview because so, we want to encourage them to go watch it. Sure. Um, man, in episode two, we sort of... Um, we pick up where episode one left off in terms of poverty, but we get a little deeper into the crack era and we get a little deeper into the socioeconomic situation, you know, like that would cause you to make a record called Hard Times. You know, I remember, you know, Run DMC is probably the first group that I really, really loved. Yes, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, like when they came out, it's like, every song spoke to me every single word that they said yes. spoke to me you know what i yes. mean there was something about the way they said what they said and the energy behind the words and a song like hard times i mean man i was living that shit you know what i mean so i really related to it and and i also at the same time was watching our president right not give a fuck about us you know, I mean, imagine that at 10, 11, 12 years old, being conscious of a song like Hard Times. Right. And then being aware that there's a president that's supposed to be the president of the entire country and is supposed to care about everyone. But you see this dude constantly cutting programs and putting people in a situation and, and just belittling people and call, I think you know, welfare moms and just all kind of shit that just seemed inflammatory and unnecessary, right. even to me at 12 years old, you know what I mean? So, so for me, um, in episode two, again, we keep, we just, we, we pretty much just keep sticking it to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean, you know, I, to me, there's a level of truth, you know, or, or a different perspective, you know, America loves to, uh, you know, build up these heroes. And now that Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan have been dead for so long, it's like, you know, and there's a, there's a Ronald Reagan freeway out here, the 118, and there's a Ronald Reagan library, and there's all this like, oh, he was this great. Nah, motherfucker, nah, he wasn't actually. You know what I mean? He wasn't right. this great president. And that's you what know? they make him out to be. They make him out to be that. And, and for me, I'll say for me, he wasn't. In my eyes, he wasn't. And a lot of people that I know and came up with, they don't feel that way about right. him either. And so there's another, there's just another viewpoint, you know? And I think that's yeah. what's important about our series is it just offers you another viewpoint, you yeah. know? And, and people that grew up in those circumstances or uh, know people that did or whatever, they relate and they loving this shit. They eating this shit up, bro. Like I ain't never been online and read comments and had them be like 98, 97% positive. You know what I mean? Like, yes, like yes. that's something that I'm experiencing 
so far, you know, it's yeah. like people feel like we're telling their story, yes. you know, and that's that's a valuable thing. And that's something that's important to me as a filmmaker and a storyteller is to really tell stories that don't always get the love. I mean, like we got a fucking budget to do our shit, bro. Like our shit wasn't like, you know, a lot of times our shit is like on a shoestring budget mm -hmm. and you know, it's like we scraping and we trying to ask this one for a favor. Like, nah, man, we like, I give it up to FX, man. They, they really took care of us and made sure that um we had what we needed to really create a story that was compelling and tell it in a way that was of quality, you know, yes. and, and our stories and our lives deserve that. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, shout out to FX and um, Lightbox, uh, our production, our, our producing partners for um, just going on this journey with us, man. Yeah, you know? that was dope, man. You guys did, did cover a lot. And I'm glad you guys covered the, the once again, the crack epidemic, because I lived through that. And, um, you know, and I'm sure we all have stories, but the crazy thing was that I remember, quick story, there was a guy that came here with his wife years ago. I want to say maybe 86, 1986. And he drove up in a, a Mercedes Benz and he was from Palos Verdes, PB out mm -hmm. here. And um, they were looking to buy some dope. So we served them. Okay. And when I say we, I used to hang around with 10 to 15 guys like every single night. We served him. A couple of hours later, he came back again. He came back again. He came back again. It's like three o'clock in the morning. His eyes are like this. Let me get another 20. You know, cool, whatever. Here's, here was the thing. One day I talked to him. I said, what do you do, man? He told me, I'm a lawyer. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, let me give you my card. Do you ever get into any trouble? He goes, hopefully you never have to use this. And I said, why? Because my offices are out up there. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that's why you come out here to the hood to buy your shit, but go out, go back up there and party, okay? It got to the point where this guy was buying so much that he invited me to a party out there. He said, bring on your gun, you're going to sell out. So I'm like, okay, but there ain't going to be no cops over there, right? No, there ain't going to be no cops. All right, I sold out. But this guy started going downhill. I saw his life going downhill that it got to the point where he was going into debt and he started pimping out his wife. Mm -hmm. Damn. Started bringing it, bring it to the hood. It was like, okay, just one of you guys tonight, okay? And then, okay, well, my other homeboy, he wants some too. Okay, but just two and that's it. Like it got to that point, man. And seeing the crack epidemic play out and then seeing it, you implementing it on episode two, it just brought back so many damn memories. I'm like, fuck, I wonder if that guy is even still alive today. You know, and a lot of people, you know, would come and their lives were fucked up because of that, you know, and then the fucking music scene was fucking banging. So it was good and bad, but that was that lifestyle, man. It was a, it was a rough time, you know what I mean? And I think <clears throat> the other thing why it was important to do this series is just to, re to remind people about that history, you yes. know? Um, and, and I think we always saw our series as you know a, a piece in the puzzle of other documentary series you know what i mean like it's not like like even though we cover 40 years and and we're talking about hip-hop it's not necessarily meant to be the definitive blah 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 right. although we do cover a lot of ground for for the time that we have but it's like you could take our doc and then you can watch 
you know, the crack documentary that just came out on Netflix, or you could watch um, Hip Hop Evolution, or you could watch The Defiant Ones, or you yeah. could watch all the other, you know, hip hop right. docs that have come before and will come after, you know, and just sort of consider it a piece of the puzzle, piece you know? Puzzle, but yeah. I feel like one thing we wanted to make sure of was that the stories were told in a way that were um, well thought out and made people think, you know, because we've had such a long run of just partying and listening to music and like not really, just really only dealing with the surface layers. You know, I think my partner, uh, Malcolm Spellman and I are very much interested in elevating storytelling in the hip hop space and telling stories that um, are rarely heard and telling them with an intention to inspire, educate, and elevate the genre. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like there's so many stories. Yes, yes. There's so many stories. I mean, you should, you know, all the phone calls we've been getting and text messages, Oh, my homeboy should be on episode uh, season two. Y'all, if y'all get a season two, man, who y'all really should have talked to was, <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like all right, that, right. that type of thing. And right. it's like, you know, they're probably right because each one of us has a story. Yes. Everybody yes. has a story. Yes. And uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about episode three and episode four. And what can people expect from Rashidi Harper 2021? So we'll, we'll go ahead and take a break. So once again, call somebody, text somebody, you know the rest. Uh, Rashidi Harper is in the building, the director and executive producer of Hip Hop Uncovered on FX and Hulu. So once again, Rashidi Harper, 10 minutes, don't fuck around, come back. Welcome back everybody to Rolling Radio episode 142. And once again, I am sitting here with Rashidi Harper, the director and the executive producer of Hip Hop Uncovered on FX Hulu. So make sure you guys tune in and check it out. We just covered uh, the first and second episode. Now we're about to jump right into it with Rashidi Harper and we are about to cover episode three and four. So nice. <laughs> and you know what, man? I'm, I, I, I'm thankful that I have a great memory because um, I don't know if I would be able to remember all that, man. That's, that's a lot. I, I have to need a cue card. Or what do you call it? A, a teleprompter or whatever? A teleprompter. Yeah. No, you're doing great. Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you. A, a lot of practice. Uh, so now, what can we expect? Because I'm going to keep it real with you. I don't know why I loved three and four. I actually watched those twice. Watch those over the one and two. One and two obviously was the foundation of what you're about, the meat you're about to get. But three and four to me was my shit. And uh, so can you break down or share with us, give us a quick overview of episode three? Sure. I, before I do that though, I wanna, I wanna talk about why you might like three and four more, okay. right? Big U has a, um, a belief that Episode three is like the West Coast. It's the West Coast episode. You know what I mean? If you're from the wet, like when we did a we we did a a screening, and we showed episode one, but he had already been in Atlanta and shown episode one in Atlanta, and he hella wanted to show episode three, but episode three wasn't done. Okay. You know what I mean? It wasn't like polished and you know we had a copy but it wasn't the right copy right and we had press there and stuff so i was telling them like yo man 
<laughs> you know, if you show three, it's gonna fuck me up because it's it's not done and it's right. gonna look shitty. You know what I mean? Right. And I and but he was adamant about wanting to play episode three because it's the West Coast episode. You know what I mean? And um, he was super super gracious and we showed episode one, but I think my, my point is that part of what you might be responding to in three and four is definitely in three, the West coast of it all, because mm -hmm. we're talking about not only police brutality, but we're talking about, um, the record, fuck the police. Yeah. Um, we're talking about, uh, what's the other song in that? <sighs> Man, there was man. a lot of it. Yeah, I can't remember what the other song is in there uh, that we built around right now. But um, I think three and four is starting to get into the into the meat of it, right? So if one and two are kind of like the setup, you know, to just sort of get you acclimated with the world and 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 helping you understand the early years of our characters, three and four is when like it's going down. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah. like. Now we're in our, you know, our characters are in our 20s, in their 20s, you know, and they're in the shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I think three and four represent, you know, because everybody starts getting locked up and, you know, all those all those prison reform rules are, are starting to kick in and, you know, the communities are getting tired of crack and 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 just living with that stress daily and just that emotional turmoil yes. you know what i mean and you know cats start going to jail you know yeah it's it's yeah three and four are pretty pretty great and also we start getting into the death row years and i mean you know that's <laughs> i mean that's legendary you know yeah. what i'm saying you know that's the episode three that inspired me to say tonight i think i'm gonna start producing again it, it just it just okay I'm going to say it and people already know how I feel about today's music. I don't like today's music. I really, really do not. And, and maybe I should give it a chance, but I just do not feel it because, again, I have such a high standard to really, really good music. And uh, uh, for an example, I'm going to share a story. Uh, I want to say it happened two years ago, me, Quick, and High C. I, I had DJed for them at a show in Arizona, and we went to Scottsdale, Arizona after to a club and we were having drinks and I see introduced me to like pineapple Ciroc with pineapple juice and a little bit of Red Bull. Okay. <laughs> so we're chilling and they're playing all this new music, which to me, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much in the club. Like I'm just not getting this new music. Mm -hmm. Everybody's vibing. Okay. And me quick high C we're just chilling there. We're not even bobbing our heads. And then all of a sudden the DJ just throws on maybe about an hour of all that new bullshit. What the, all of a sudden, California Love comes on. And I'm not going to lie to you, like that fucking crowd erupted. And the, more people got on the dance floor. So I turned around and I looked at Quick and I said, dude, why did they change the music on us? I said, this shit still works, bro. This shit still works. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not so much that I'm just stuck on the old. I just love good fucking music yeah and to me that is good music i i just i like that old sound man you know i i i'm curious when you say that like 
because I, I was there maybe like five years ago uh -huh. um, in the same sort of space, five, six, seven years ago. Uh -huh. And what happened to me is that um, I wound up working at Apple, right? Okay. So when Dre and Jimmy Iovine sold Beats to Apple and they merged, yes. I wound up getting a job at Apple hmm. as, a, as a creative, you know, a creative uh, executive over there. And... I got to produce Dre's radio show, right? And I got to produce the visual content for the radio show and for, for Apple Music and Beats One, right? right? And what that forced me to do was to pay closer attention to the music and to really try to understand what was going on and what was moving the youth and why, right? And I found during that process, I didn't find out the answer exactly, but it made me find stuff that I liked because I okay. found that I did like some stuff. You know, was it like the stuff I grew up on and loved? No, but I think there is some good stuff out there. Um, but you just got to dig and find what works for you. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that's where I'm lazy at. I'm just yeah. thinking like, nah, hell no, I'll just press mute. I'll wait for this parade to be over. I'll wave at him. Okay, get out of here. Let's go. <laughs> right, let's get the real shit back. That That's just me. And maybe I'm just hard-headed and I admit it. But yeah. But, I, but but what I like about what you're saying too is that, is that everything is cyclical. And so everything does come back around. Yes. And so the fact that in this moment you feel inspired to like produce again there's pro like I heard you talking to, um, is it Mr. D? Was Mr. that his name? Yeah, Mr. D. Mr. D, you know, and the idea when I heard you guys talking about the possibilities of working together, like, I was like, oh man, I, that would be awesome. I wonder what that would sound like. You know what I mean? Because I don't know his music, but he seems very open and coachable. And yes. I think those people that are open and coachable are the ones that wind up rising to the top man because they listen they don't think they know every fucking thing and, and i'm so glad you're saying that i'm so glad you're saying that and 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 let me uh i try to keep everything i i'm i'm the type of guy that like if i have a good idea i stay quiet so let's just say that uh we got something cooking that's right so that's right so but now um so we we gave a quick overview of episode three and i know you touched a little bit on four uh if you could maybe share a little bit more on episode yeah, four. Yeah, so so one of the things we talk about in episode four is um, we have this theory that there was one death that nobody knows about that is possibly the most important death in hip hop, right? That's our hypothesis, right? Mm. And we say it's the most important death in hip hop because that death led to the death of Tupac and then led to the death of Biggie. Right. And so in episode four, you find out more about a guy named Jake Robles from Compton who worked the death row and hung out with Suge and um, ultimately gets murdered in Atlanta by um, uh, by one of Puffy's bodyguards. Right. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes in that episode is when Dre talks about how many murders were committed in his four years at death row. You know what I mean? And it's a high number, you know? Yeah. And he also says something like, 
there would be no violence in hip hop if there were no Death Row or Bad Boy in the 90s. The first time he said it, he really just said Death Row. He he put it on Death Row, but I guess you kind of had to add, add Bad Boy because, you know, that was where the rivalry was. Yeah. But I mean, and when he said that, I remember sitting there when he said it and thinking, damn, is that right? Yeah, I guess, I guess you could say that. You yeah. know, and plus, if he's saying it, I mean, he, he knows he was there. He yeah. was really in the middle of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just an interesting thing to, to contemplate and think about. And we were so fortunate to get that interview with Dre. You know what I mean? And for him to be so open with us and to spend as much time as he spent with us. You right. know what I mean? Like he really he really gave us his time, you right. know, and and outside of that, he also like. He let us shoot some interviews at his studio. Like, you know, that he was he was very supportive of 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 our project, you know, and and it just meant everything to have him. You know what I mean? Cause it's like he doesn't do a lot of shit. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like he's very, very strategic about what he's gonna participate in or not. And so when he decided to um, get down with us, it was just a really, really big deal, and it helped us tremendously. Yeah, there's a lot, a of, lot of little quotes that I've learned from him, and I, I actually, I wrote them down. Like I made a note, and every once in a while, I go back. Like he would always say, "Timing is everything." You know, it, the the producer is only as good as the artist that he's working with. That's why I just don't do beats for just anybody. There's there's times, and this happened a lot in the '90s, where guys to pay me like two thousand bucks for a beat. And I've been there tracking it. Then they'll go in there and I give them a fucking dope ass monster ass beat. They'll go in there and lay some bullshit ass fucking lyrics. And I'll be real with you the next day. I'm like, hey, bro, I'm going to return your money back. I don't want my name on this. You know? Right. And shamefully, there were times where I told the guy, look, bro, if I knew you rap like this, I would have never sold you my tracks. But here's what I'm going to do give me another thousand and you could put produced by you. I don't care. And he did it. Mm. And so there's tracks out there that I did. But I didn't like the way he rapped. I just thought, but because these were guys, these were dudes that were slanging and just wanted a little bit of fame. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so, and I think that's what a lot of rap today is because of social media. They get a lot of clout. They get a lot of likes, comments. So, fuck it. I got money. Might as well just let me, you know, rap. So. <laughs> it is that. It is. It does seem to be a lot of that. I think, um, you know, man, Everybody wants to be acknowledged, you know, which really boils down to everybody wants to be loved, right? Right. And everyone does deserve that that love, you know? I, I Again, I just get back to the craft of it all, you know? Like, to me, it's not worth doing it if you're not trying to stand on the shoulders of the giants that came before you, if you're not trying to surpass them in some way if you're not trying to just be awesome right. you know what i mean like right. not just be famous or just get noticed you know what i mean right. like right. there's a lot i mean sometimes you do get what you ask for and then you find out how much pressure that shit is and how much um i mean I'm sure you can you can speak to it. I mean, you've had a touch of it, right? When you yes. were in music videos and going to the mall and somebody's noticing you or yeah. you're out at a club and somebody, you know, people like that's the other thing. Like people know your face 
and you don't know them and they feel like they know you because they've watched you on this video 50 times. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And they come up to you and but they're like complete stranger to you. But to them, you're Tony. You right. know what I mean? And they've seen you. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like, you know, I think people think they want that. But man, when you get it, you know, and I've been around like I've been around like the legends, the icons, you yes. know, and I see what that is. And it's it's a lot to deal with and keep your sanity. You know, I mean, it, just imagine guys like Prince and Michael Jackson can't live a normal life, you know, because oh. everything is. Let me get a picture. Can I get you out of here? Can I get this? Can I get can I get a hug? And people are starstruck by them. And it's after a while, I was like, I just want to walk around the fucking mall. Yep. You know, yep. so no. So I get it. But you know what? There was one thing that when I posted the flyer on the community on YouTube, on YouTube, there's a little place called the community where you could put flyers in there. Mm -hmm. And I promoted it. There was one thing that I got a lot. Ask him about Haitian Jack. Ask him about Haitian Jack. Okay. Of course, the Tupac song and, of course, the rumors. Okay, now, I'm going to bring it up, what was said in the docuseries, and then if you want to care to elaborate a little bit on it, um, how in the song, Tupac called Haitian Jack a snitch. Okay. Then they were saying that uh, Suge put Pac up to that. And then I forgot the individual's name, but he said it correctly. And, and, and I need to say it this way. He said, if Haitian is a snitch, where's the paperwork? Right. Split Star said that. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's very, very important because today, the sad thing is on social media or on the streets, people are right away are quick to put a jacket on somebody and say, oh, that guy's a snitch. That guy's this. I've been told, hey, man, don't interview that guy. That guy's a snitch. And here's what I've said. Okay, look, I'm just a podcast, bro. I'm not going to get into the street politics, but if you're sure of that, I'm a guy that seeing and believing. Do you got the paperwork? Well, no. Have you seen the paperwork? Well, no. How do you know? Well, that's just the word. I, I can't go off of that, dude. Yeah. Nobody should. Yeah. I mean, there's a, such a thing as proof. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. There's a such thing as facts, right. you know, and until that surfaces, then it's all just, you, you know, listen, for me, I, I've i heard of Haitian Jack for years, Right, you know? I had never met him until this project. And what I was excited about for him was the opportunity for him to finally sit down and tell his side of the story. Right. You know what I mean? And one thing that I think even he understood very well, probably more than, than I did, it's not even about setting the record straight. I mean, it is, but it isn't because right. The people that ride with Pac and that are fans of Pac, they, you can't change their mind. There's nothing you can say. Of course. And I think it still was interesting to hear Haitian Jack speak on his relationship with Tupac yeah. and, and how much he cared about him and he felt betrayed by him. And this dude's had to walk around with sort of this label of being a snitch based on one record that was put out after Pac died. Yeah. You know, and one of the things I remember him saying in the, in the series is Pac would never have put that record out if I was alive, if he was alive. He wouldn't have done it. Mm. You know what I mean? He yeah. he 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 wouldn't have done it. And and the reason that Jack says that Suge um put Pac up to it is because 
he I didn't get to interview this guy, but he told me about this guy, a friend of his named Zach, that ran into Suge at the airport. Right. And and Suge told Zach, you know, something to the effect of, you know, tell Jack he could thank me for making him famous, you know? And Jack's whole thing was, I fucking never asked to be famous. I was good being in the cut, living my life, doing what I do quietly. And that's what street dudes do. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was very, very interesting. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I got to tell you, Tony, man, I feel like, like, I finally gave this significant piece of art to hip hop. And that's what I've been waiting my whole fucking life for. Dude. That's awesome. Man. I've been waiting my whole life. Like, when am I going to, when am I going to give like this thing to this art form that's given so much to me from childhood into my adulthood? It gave me a career. Yes. You know what I mean? A rapper named AC Alone from Freestyle Fellowship gave me my first directing job. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. a rapper gave me my first directing job. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. And so it's like I've been able to have this career as an adult behind the camera because of this music that I love and I care about, you know? Wow. And and it means a lot to have been able to uh, make a substantial piece of work with the team that, that we put together that's going to just be there for fucking ever, bro. That's awesome. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it's yeah. going to be there forever. We did that shit. You know what right, I mean? Right. And we right. did it well. And yes. so I'm excited for people to see it, man. Yeah. You know? How long now has it been out? About a week? Nah, it's been out like maybe three weeks or no, no, no. Maybe a month now. But okay. now, but you know, I've been able to really get a sense of people's viewing appetites, right? Okay. And I think that people just want to binge. Okay. You know what I mean? So now all six episodes are on Hulu and you could just go on Hulu right now and, and like... I think it was over the weekend. Somebody, one of my friends hit me up. They was like, yo, I just watched all six today. You I know, was like, damn, you watched all six okay, in then, one day? Then I cheated <laughs> myself because I only got four recorded. Now there's six. Okay. My bad. My correction. Okay. Honestly, I, I've only seen, I got all four on my DVR. Like, and I've been watching them over and over and over. And I'm thinking, okay, when are they going to make other? And now you're telling me there's just two there's more. There's two more. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's six episodes and, and episodes five and all six episodes are up on Hulu right now. Okay. That's what it is. And maybe they're still airing on FX. I I, I would have to actually check about that. Okay. Because that's where I got them from. Yeah. FX. You, yeah. I, I did the same thing. I DVR'd mine on FX. Okay. But when you go to Hulu, if you've got a certain level of hulu uh -huh. you could watch the whole shit with no commercials and that's really what i prefer i prefer people yeah. watch it with no commercial breaks because when you watch it as a as a whole piece you know a, a, as, right. a, as a complete episode it just flows a little differently yeah you know? okay then i might have to check out uh five and six okay you know what can you kind of like give us a quick overview now of five and six yeah so in episode five um we sort of get more into modern day. Like we're, we're into probably 2010, 2008, something like that. Uh -huh. And we're posing the question of where's hip hop gonna go today, right? Like, are we gonna keep, I mean, there's like, we start talking about how many murders have happened, how many rappers have been murdered. Um, 
we introduce you to, you know, there's a guy that we interviewed named Lil Marlo from Atlanta who um, came up with Lil Baby and Lil Baby's super hot right now. Yeah. And we had Lil Marlo in our series and then we're in post-production editing it up. And then we find out he fucking got murdered. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm devastated, right? Yeah. Because this guy spent time with us told us his story you know he's with p from quality control you know and big u and they're having this there's this just beautiful conversation that happens and he talks about um getting out of the streets and like really pursuing this rap thing right. more more seriously and he had had some problems doing that up until that point but it felt like he was turning the corner and you know about to you know, continue on and like basically go in the footsteps of Lil Baby, you right, know, which right. are some pretty great footsteps to go in at yeah. this point in time. And yeah, he gets murdered. And it's like, I guess episode five talks about him and talks about Nipsey and then asks the question really to this younger generation and these younger rappers, hey man, like, what do y'all want to do? Right. You know what I mean? Like, you, you don't necessarily, I, I don't know. I, I can't speak for people. Like I'm not living in this moment and I'm not living in these communities, but I do know that people, not everybody gets an opportunity. I do know that. Yeah. And I do know that when you're given opportunities, you should do everything that you can to better your life and leave certain shit behind. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. you owe it to yourself and your family first and foremost. But when you add on to that, that you've got young people watching you and admiring you and looking up to you, you know what I mean? It makes me sad that choices are being made based on ego. You know what I mean? And when you're young, you don't really, you know, I mean, that means something to you. But like when you get older, you realize that don't mean shit. It means nothing, actually. What means everything is your family and being there for your family. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think episode five just asks hip hop, where, what direction are we going in? You know what I mean? Right. Are we going to keep shooting it out and gunning it up like it's the wild, wild west? Or are we going to like go and fucking pursue our art and fucking be rock stars? Right. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Of course. Because yeah. we're running this shit right now. Yes. And so why not just go and run it and do that and not worry about this motherfucker said this about me and I'm about to go cap this nigga. Like all that shit. It's like, nah, man, make music. All of the great ones, that's what they did. That's what they did. Yeah. If 50 fucking cent can get out the streets, bro, any of these motherfuckers can get out the street. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's That's just real. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so our hope, you know, as as elders, because I'm I'm sort of trying to embrace this moment of, oh, I'm an elder at this shit. You know what I mean? I ain't no kid doing this shit. I spent my life. I've raised a family off this shit. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And it's like I wanted to be around. I wanted to be around for my kids if they want to if they want to get into this and build a career in this in this industry, be it music, film or whatever. Right. That's what I'm working for, right? And it's like we have created black and brown people this multi-billion dollar industry 
and we should be seeing the fucking proceeds off that shit. Yes. And we should not be worried about what this motherfucker said and that motherfucker said and I'm going to go shoot. You know what I mean? Like, I understand it and I, I don't say it from a place of judgment. I don't judge anybody. Of course. I'm just talking about what I hope for this generation and right. for these people to uh, to hear. To hear these OGs, not even me. Listen to these OGs that have done way more than you'll ever fucking do. <laughs> Every single person that we're featuring in Hip Hop Uncovered has done way more than any of these cats could ever do because there's cameras and technology now. You can't never do nothing that they did. Right. You know what I mean? You, you can't yeah. do it. It's just not possible no more to do that and get away with it. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so... We're we're just we're just putting it out there, man, and really hoping to bridge the gap, you know, not to feel like we're these old dudes sitting on this podcast talking about how great it was in the 90s. Right. Now nah, we're talking about how great it can be moving forward because of what was built in the 80s and the 90s. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And let's like let's build that bridge between the youth and these elders and let's lead, you know, and hopefully some of these young folks will want to follow. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. the thing in episode six, we talk about, we sort of end with this idea of leadership. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we start in episodes one, right? We're starting you with the, just the dirty, just the rough parts of life. And then, and then we're showing you the evolution of a human being that is not the same person that they were when they were 18, because now they're in their 50s. And right. now they've learned a lot about life. And now they've learned so much that they want to give it back to some of these younger generations and help them navigate these roads so that they can surpass us where we're at. That, that's the key word, surpass. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad because that's one thing that I always tell people that allow me to help you so you can hopefully surpass anything that I might have ever accomplished. The only thing I ask is that you open the door for the next man. Yeah. You know, and and, and that, that's what we do here with this platform is open doors for people. We give people a voice and uh, to share their passion here, like the way you are. Um, now, if I had to twist your arm and out of all those six, which one is your favorite? <laughs> yeah, that is hard. That's something that uh, we've been, uh, we're gonna have to all talk about, right? Because <laughs> we're, we think, we think we have the ability to win an Emmy. You know what I mean? Like we think the work is so solid that we can win some Emmys and we're trying to figure that out right now. Like what are the best episodes? So my, I, I, I think the episodes that I think are really strong are um, three and five. You know, to, God, it's hard. I can't, I, honestly, it's hard to pick one because they all are so important. They're all kind of connected. Right. You know, um, I, 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 I might say six because six sort of wraps it all up. Okay. You know what I mean? It wraps it up. It, 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 it makes it very clear what this whole journey was about. Right. You know what I mean? There was one thing that I wanted to bring up, and I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but I, I rewounded it like three times. And it was, I, I want to say, I want to say episode four. Uh, it wasn't Deb, but Deb was helping with children. Yeah. And then there was another woman there. And then she said, and I'm paraphrasing, it's like, we plant a seed in these kids and we give them hope. And we tell them we believe in them 
So that way it inspired them for it, it inspired them for them to become somewhat great or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. And that really, really touched me because I really do believe in sowing seed in the next generation in the youth. Yeah. You know, like what you said, you know, where are we gonna go with this? You know, so for me, you know, I'm about to be fifty-three. That's all I want to do is just sow seed in the youth uh, or the next generation so that they can uh, surpass whatever we might have done. Yep. You know, be a good example to them. So I like what, what she said on there. Yeah. I mean, I think I think we're both doing that. You know what I mean? We're both here sharing our stories with people. We have no idea who's watching and who we're touching right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's part of the beautiful thing about um being creative, you know, you, it starts with something in your mind or in your heart, you know, right. and you get to get it out into something that can be listened to or viewed, you know, and then people receive it and they're touched by it in whatever way they're touched by it, you right. know, and that's a privilege, actually, yes. you know what I'm saying? It's yes. a privilege yes. and it's, it's something that I personally don't take lightly. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just very honored and happy to have made it through all these years. You know, it's not easy being a filmmaker, as you know, yeah. it's not easy being a, a musician. Right. It's like, you have to really want it and love it to still be doing it. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. And, and, and I do, and that's why I'm still here. And that's why I'm going to be here. Yeah, you know. You know. Now, uh, let me ask you this: If there is somebody watching who uh, maybe wants to be a filmmaker, or maybe struggling, or maybe is in school, what type of a, a encouraging message would you give somebody who's barely starting off? I would say um, the world is your oyster. You know what I mean? Like you can literally take your phone and make something today. You know what I mean? I would ask you, what is it that you want to say? You know. That's good. What do you want to say? And how can you, uh, how can you, how can you, um, get those ideas out and share them with others, you know? And you literally don't, everybody got a phone and these phones have video and you literally can make stuff with just your phone. And on your phone, you can have an app that allows you to edit. Yeah. Like there's really nothing stopping anyone. You just have to get your ideas out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always tell people, you know what? Have the passion, have the drive, put the work in. Yeah. You know, if you release good quality stuff, you know, I've always said this, money will come knocking. I, I'm not one to chase money. I believe release good stuff and money will, will come knocking. Every time, every time. But you gotta believe, like you gotta believe in your vision. You know what I mean? And you have to believe that you're gonna be good enough to um to be noticed yeah. you know what i'm saying i'm glad you said that you you got to believe in yourself be good enough to be noticed yeah that's right yeah that's good you know all this shit is subjective anyway you know what i'm saying it's all subjective you just gotta if you want it you just nothing's gonna stop you really you know what i mean right. like that's yeah. really what it is i mean i could have quit 20 years ago when the first you know, when my music video days were just sort of dry, right? You know right. what I mean. But I never, I never quit because yeah. it's like, for me, this is a, this is a, it's a mission, man. This is like a gift from God. Like this ain't even about me so much as it is about 
um, being able to use the gifts that God gave me and touch other people with that. That's, that's really what this is really about. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, two questions. Okay. Actually, three. This might be a dumb one, but I'm an old fool from the old school. Uh, um, is there going to be any releases on Blu-ray or DVD? I'm not sure. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure. I literally don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Cause I, I still buy Blu-rays. I still collect. Do you really? Yes, I still do. I bought the Defiant ones. I took a picture of it, sent it to Alan Hughes, and I was like, check it out, bro. I, I, I Not only did I watch it on I, was it HBO, yeah, but I, I also got a Blu-ray. Because whenever, my whole thing is that there's days that I just put it on, nobody's home, and I'm just like, nobody just bothers it. me. Yeah. Just watch it. Yeah. I'm a big-time movie guy. So, um, well, then I would have to say yes. If the Defiant ones had it, then yeah, we're going to have it too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So my next one was this. Uh, what can people expect, if anything, from Rashidi Harper 2021? I know there's some things you told me earlier that you can't discuss, but is there something cooking? Yeah. Um, I've got a lot of things cooking. Um, I'm developing... Uh, along with my partner, uh, Malcolm Spellman at the 51B and, and Obi Okoye, um, we're developing some some work with a, a filmmaker named RJ Cutler. He did the new Billie Eilish um, doc. We got some things we're putting together with them. We have something we're putting together uh, with Universal Music and uh, 215 Entertainment and STX. 215 Entertainment is Questlove and uh, Black Thought okay. and The Roots production company. Wow. So we got something that we're putting together with them. And then I got, um, <laughs> this is like, a, a, a I don't want to say a smaller thing, but like a more recent thing that's coming out probably within the next month. I just did, a, um, I'm fortunate enough to do these campaigns for Snoop. Snoop Dogg has this wine uh, collaboration, 19 Crimes Cali Red is the one that we dropped last year, right? right. So I did the campaign for that. And uh, just like maybe a week a week or so ago, I did uh, the campaign for the new wine, which is a rosé. It's called uh, 19 Crimes Cali Rosé. So I got to work with uh, Snoop again and, you know, do a little 30 seconds commercial. And That's dope. That's going to be coming out probably like, you know, by the end of the month or something like that. That'll work. That'll yeah, work. Yeah. Now, uh, um, man, I, I had one last question. Okay. Yeah. You brought this up right before we went live. And uh, I just want you, I know you're a humble guy, but I just want you to share some of the the major stars you've ever worked with. I know you mentioned Dre, Cube, like the West Coast legends. I, you pretty much have worked or have done something with them all. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been really, really fortunate to have worked with a lot of big A-list talent, you know. Um, one that I'm most proud of, there's a couple people, you know, when you're fans of this music of or music period or acting or whatever it is, there's certain people you get to meet. And you're just like, you just never forget it. So like Sidney Poitier, I met like backstage at an NAACP award maybe 10 years ago or something like that. Like that was amazing getting to shake his hand and in the same night, shake Shaka Khan's hand. Wow. You know what I mean? So like that's something that's memorable. But but like actually spend time with and learn from and work with, I got to work with um, Earth, Wind and Fire for about four or five years where I would go on tour with them and film 
their concerts and just film what was going on. And this is like, I went to Europe with them. I went to Seoul, Korea, Tokyo. I went a lot of places with them. And it was really amazing being with music royalty. You know what wow. I mean? And just watching how they moved out in the world as a unit, like not just the band, but the crew and the roadies and all the technicians and everybody being people of color, you know what I mean? And just watching this sort of brother and sisterhood move through these countries with efficiency and then tear down these stages with music that's like 40, 50 years old or however old it is, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Like, I got to see the power of a good song or a good set list, you know what I mean? Yeah. With some legends, yes. you know? So that's a highlight. I mean, I know I talked about the rappers, but I gotta just first just pay homage to the people before that to sort of built this foundation. Yes. Um, so that's, so, so there's that. There's Quincy Jones. Um, oh, wow. I got to meet Quincy Jones and work with him with Dr. Dre while I was at Apple. Um, and then the work that we did wound up being like the first five minutes of the Quincy doc. Like when you watch the Quincy doc yes. on Netflix, the first five minutes is stuff that I shot for Apple that they used to open up the documentary where Dre is interviewing Quincy. You know what I mean? Um, so, so just being able to be a part of stuff like that and Rashida Jones and um, uh, Alan, uh, there's another director named Alan, I forget his last name, but you know, them being so gracious with yeah. me and, you know, using, using that stuff and um, what else? so many people bro like venus and serena williams like yeah i work with with them i spent like a year with serena and just filming her i went to the u.s open you know what i'm saying <laughs> like just really just a lot of people man justin timberlake i work with justin timberlake like right before he went solo it was like right in between leaving nsync but before his first solo album right i filmed a performance with him and brian mcknight you know and i, I like to think that that was um for justin it it gave him the vision of like oh i actually can do this solo shit you know what i mean like and and i have to say i was really impressed with him yeah. because at the time you know like nsync is a pop group and whatever and you're just like okay cool but man when that dude got on set like he was money i was like i couldn't believe it felt like it kind of felt like michael jackson you right, know right, what I mean? Like right, right. whatever that would feel like. Right. It, it was, you know, probably not the same as Michael Jackson, but you could tell he had studied Michael and like his, just his movement and his energy was just beautiful to watch. You know what it, I mean? Usually when I see somebody like that, I always come back and I tell people he had that it vector. Yes. And that's a real thing. Yes. The it factor is a real thing. You know, and yeah. it's hard. It's it's not a tangible thing, but but like when you see it, you know it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, man, I've worked with so so many people, but I wanna I wanna say I gotta shout out Snoop. Like that's probably my longest creative collaborator. Like I started working with him in ninety seven. Okay. Um um we did uh we did a short film for his tour or something like that. That was like our first project together. And he's the one person that I've worked with just a lot of times. 
You know right, what I mean? Right, right. And it's really great to have watched him grow from who he was then to even who he is now. And and he also was kind enough to show up in our dock and, you know, give us some perspective and insight into into this world. And uh yeah, he's somebody that's great, but the person that I'm probably closest with is is Dr. Dre. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's a dude like if I call him, he'll like literally call me back. Right. right <laughs> you know right. what I mean? And that's that's crazy. I, I'm saying I used to listen to him on K Day. Right. You know what I mean? I him and Julio G too and Battle Cat and all them dudes. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. So like to actually like know these dudes and to to coll collaborate with them creatively is like, you know, it's dope. If you from Probably if you're from anywhere, but especially being from L.A. Right. You know right. what I mean? Okay. Yeah. And one thing that I always clear up, because whenever I said that I knew Dr. Dre, I always make this clear. I don't know the Dr. Dre of today. I knew the guy from the 80s. That's the guy I knew, you know. So uh, I'm not saying that we have, you know, carne asada lunches, you know, on Saturday, Taco Tuesdays together. I don't say that, but I, I knew him back then. And the last time I talked to him, was uh, when Steve took me when he had just dropped the first Chronic album. And I, I just asked him one simple question. I just said, you know, uh, how long did it take you to do this record? And he said, one year. Uh, and, I, and I asked him, you know, how come one year? And he just said, uh, it had to be a hit, couldn't be a miss. And that, that's all I needed to, to, you know, to know. It's like, okay, that was it. So that was the last conversation that we had face to face. And after that, it was like, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, but uh, that's a that's a that's an important distinction. The Dr. Dre of the 80s and the Dr. Dre of now, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I'm happy to know him now at this place in his life, at this point in his life. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's just nice seeing someone who has impacted the culture so much. It's nice seeing him at a place where he's getting to enjoy his life. You right. know what I mean? And uh, it's just weird that. I don't want to say weird. It's not weird. It's just when you talk about timing, you know what I mean? Like I think you said earlier, timing is everything. Yes. I'm really happy that I'm in his life at this time. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I've been around L.A. I've seen him around, you know, all these different phases. But I feel like right now is the right time for both of us to be in each other's lives. You know what I mean? Awesome. And it's, it's it's dope. It's like I literally and I'm, I'm very careful who I call a friend. Like yes. I don't just, I'm not like no industry dude like that. Like I don't just call people my friend. You know, I, I can legitimately call that dude a friend and it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm genuinely happy. Awesome. <laughs> not cause, not cause he's Dr. Dre, but cause he's just a cool ass dude. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And he's very inspiring, you know? No, you're right. I remember one time, one day he came to, uh, I did a mixtape called Recop. Obviously, w whatever words were popping at the time, whenever you sold dope, take your money and go recop some more dope. So we we would name our cassettes, whatever was popping at the time. Like the word scandalous was big at one point, so we named one of our tapes scandalous. So uh, we named one of our tapes Dope Beats. Um, so he gave me a ride home from the studio and he, he had a red Mercedes Benz. And um, I said, you want me to ride with you? And he goes like, yeah, ride with me. One thing that I will say, because people have always asked me, you know, questions about him back then. He he never treated me, number one, as if I was, um, how would you say? He didn't look at me like, oh, you're a cool dude for a Mexican. He just looked at me like, you're a cool ass dude. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, and 
I've never seen him switch up. Like he never acted like I'm Dr. Dre. Never acted like that. It was almost like it was kind of weird because in my mind, I would say, dude, you're like Dr. Dre and you're giving me a ride home. And you walk through my house while my mom's cooking Mexican food, watching novelas, and you're about to sit on a record crate. My room's fucked up and you're going to grab the mic and wrap up my mixtape. You know, to me, that those are like amazing experiences, you know. Yeah. So I'm thankful that I have those stories to share, you know, but that was then, this is now. So. Yeah, and it's and and it's never over, and you never know how it's gonna end. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, that's what's also exciting about this business and and creativity. You just never know where it's gonna take you. Yeah, you know, you're one thing away from meeting this person or collaborating with that person. I mean, that's what's exciting about all of this. I have no idea what's going to come of this docu-series that I just put out. Yeah. But I know something's coming and I know it's big. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. That's what we got. We got, if you're going to dream, you got to dream big. That's right. At this point in time, um, uh, any shout outs you want to get, we've come to the end of our interview. And I, first of all, I want to thank you for giving me the honor and the privilege to, to have you here and for you to share, you know, what, uh, you have done and what you got coming so yeah no thank you for having me man this has been this has been great i can't believe i was so nervous to come through <laughs> you know you make it you make it real easy tony um i i want to shout out you know my entire crew um of hip-hop uncovered you know everybody from my executive producing partners malcolm spellman uh big U, jimmy chris douglas banker BJ Levin, um, Jonathan Chin, and Simon Chin from Lightbox. Um, I, I want to give a special shout out to Obi Okoye and Joya Bearden. Um, there are two sisters that worked on the project as producers that we could not have managed all the personalities and all of the work that was done without their grace and grit. You know what I mean? Um, I got a shout shout out uh, Steve Neely, our co EP, and damn, did I say BJ Levin? Mention him again. Definitely man. BJ. If I didn't say you, BJ, what up? Um, Beef, like so so many people, but but the editors especially, um, Eric McMichael, Eric Barnes, uh, Christian Hill, Tyler Hubby, all the story producers, um, Adriana Padilla, David Berger. Um, my archivist, uh, uh, camera, uh, Kamara Rose. I mean, there's just a long list of people, right. you know, you could read the credits <laughs> if you want to know who I'm shouting out, just read the credits. Um, there's them. And then of course there's my family, you know, like okay. my kids who I'm, I'm not with them right now. You know right, what right. I mean? I'm, I'm here doing this and they, and my wife, you know, who just supported me while making this project. You know what I mean? Like, and supported by allowing me to just be gone or even when I'm there physically be gone mentally. You know what right, I mean? Right, like there's right. a lot of work that goes into creating something great. And usually it's the family that takes the hit. You know what I'm saying? So it's always big love to all my family and my awesome. mom and all of them. So yeah. awesome. Awesome. And to Derek. Derek Pridgen, who's the reason that I'm here. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, who made the introduction. What up, D? Awesome. What up, D? Uh, and to my boy, DJ Thoro. DJ Thoro's want to introduce me to Derek. And uh, he flew out here several years ago. I was in his documentary. Uh, I don't even think it ever came out. Give it up to the DJ. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened with it, but yeah, yeah. it's it's. I know it's done because I know I've seen it. Yeah, yeah I've seen it too. Work. Yeah. So, so once again, everybody, let me go ahead and give my quick shout outs, and we're out of here. So let me give a shout out once again to uh, uh, Rashidi Harper, uh, the, the director and executive producer of Hip Hop Uncovered. You can see that on Hulu or uh, FX. And I'm gonna have to see four. I mean, five and six because I I just only thought there was four. But I want to give a shout out to Anthony as well for running this show. I want to give a shout out to Alex Cervantes, who is our intern. Cervantes Enterprise, you need your car fix. Hit him up on Instagram. And um, give a shout out to my son for helping me promote this. And to my boy, DG, that rarely ever comes, but he's still a part of our team. And with that being said, we'll go ahead and see you guys on Sunday with another special guest. So once again, Rashidi, thank you very much for coming and blessing us up. Thank you for having me, man. Great time. Okay, you guys, God bless. We'll see you guys on Sunday.